This is the Bigger Pockets Podcast, show 138. I think it's like it's really like any investment in the sense that the, the real key is buying it right. You're listening to Bigger Pockets Radio, simplifying real estate for investors large and small. If you're here looking to learn about real estate investing without all the hype, you're in the right place. Stay tuned and be sure to join the millions of others who have benefited from BiggerPockets.com. Your home for real estate investing online. What's going on, everybody? This is Josh Dorkin, host of the Bigger Pockets podcast, here with my co host, the punching bag, <laughs> Mr. Brandon Turner. Yo, Brandon, what's up with that black eye, man? Yeah, I was, you know, walking downtown and got in a fight with some guys over, you know. No, I was, uh, I was out playing Ultimate Frisbee, which is like soccer and football combined with a Frisbee. I don't know. It's the great game. Uh, I play with a bunch of like college age kids around here which is bad because I'm like the old guy. But uh, <laughs> anyway, I was like four feet in front of a guy and he took the Frisbee and as hard as he could throw it, he launched it to the other end of the of the field. But my face was right in front of <laughs> that trajectory. And the, yeah, Frisbee nailed me in the face. I had a nice goose egg on my cheek, I guess you'd say. Nice. And now nice. I have a black eye. So. so for those of you who are listening and not watching the show, you know, yeah. at some point you should go and check out the show on YouTube once it gets up there and, and you get to see Brandon's fancy new shiner <laughs> yeah how you Actually, been man i've been good i've been good i uh i went golfing last weekend and nice. uh you know with my black eye that was awesome yeah and i haven't i haven't golfed oh and i got a new dog i got a new people know charlie i talk about charlie a lot especially on the webinars biggerpockets.com slash webinars yep. uh, webinar anyway i talk about charlie a lot and i even show him on the webinar i got a new one named ruby and Ruby is a York. Uh, we think she's a Yorkie. Anyway, long story there. We don't actually know exactly what she is, but she looks like my other dog, Charlie. She's cute. She is she's cute, cute. And she's well, small and adorable. You know, my dog ran away two weeks ago. I heard that. Yeah, I was in San Francisco for the Inman Conference, the in- Inman Connect Real Estate Conference, uh, where I was a speaker. I spoke about podcasting on a panel nice. in front of a room of like a thousand people. It was great. Look Lots of you. fun. Yeah, fancy. fancy. So while I'm in San Francisco, my dog gets out and she's 12 and she's old and she got scared or something. And she probably was on my driveway and somebody went and picked him up, picked her up and brought her to the town. <laughs> and so, you know, for like six hours, everybody's flipping out about where this dog is. And we finally found her and got her the next day. But that's scary. I was, yeah. we, I was not pleased to be away when that happened. Um, but uh, yeah, anyway, things are great here and I'm just back in town uh, You're after, gone for like a year. Yeah, it was like yeah. two weeks of travel in California, San Francisco, which, by the way, everybody, I still think is disgusting. Um, uh, we, we talked about this on a previous show. It is unbelievably filthy with lots of crazy homeless people who like to do crazy things to themselves and to other people. So, uh, I yeah, I wasn't loving that, but LA was great and it's good to be back and uh excited to be doing new shows again because we haven't recorded in a few weeks we have not yeah so and this is a good one to kick it off with i i learned a ton this i probably learned more in this episode than i've learned in a lot of them uh, just because it's something i've i've always wanted to get into and never did so people like this but before we get into that why don't we go today's quick tip all right, today's quick tip is it's just a short one. If you are familiar with the Bigger Pockets calculators, uh, like the rental property calculator, the flipping calculator, we made some changes a little bit now. You can track a little bit easier uh, your progress on the properties. And that what I mean by that is you can go back and see a list of all the ones that you've analyzed, all of them from the beginning, and you can rank them like, you know, which ones had the best NOI, which ones had the best, you know, the purchase price. You can order them, sort them. Uh, just a really good way to keep track of what deals you're making 
what what deals that you're working on and, and kind of what status they're in in the process. So kind of cool. Check that out. Biggerpockets.com slash Kelk, C-A-L-C. Right on, right on. All right, cool. Well, before we uh, continue any further, why don't we very, very quickly uh, talk about the show you guys, we really appreciate all the listeners and we count on your support to help grow the show. And we, we definitely hope that you'll take a, a couple minutes to leave us ratings and reviews on places like Stitcher and iTunes and SoundCloud, particularly iTunes. And just want to share a, a recent uh, review from iTunes from EDS8513, the most informative real estate resource on the web. The podcasts are priceless and Brandon and Josh make it entertaining. Thank you for what you do. And big thanks to EDS. Uh, that was very nice. I'm glad we didn't pick the one that said, you guys suck and your jokes are horrible. But <laughs> we'll ignore that one. We'll ignore that. Listen, it's not coffee or donuts. It's not campfires or s'mores. Not peanut butter or jelly. Great things happen when two good things come together. So why choose between cash flow or appreciation? Rent to Retirement's new construction homes give you both. Rent-to-Retirement offers newly built homes that attract the best tenants with fewer repairs in outstanding rental markets. That means more monthly cash flow for you and plenty of equity growth in the background. Plus, their creative financing options let you buy investment properties with just 5% down. Not 20%, not 10%, 5% down. Rent-to-Retirement offers turnkey new construction homes already built, leased, and managed for you. Their investing experts find the best markets that consistently offer double-digit returns and prices as low as $150,000. And they've got more five-star reviews than any company on Bigger Pockets. You invest, Rent-to-Retirement does the rest. To learn more, visit renttoretirement.com. That's renttoretirement.com. Or text REI to 33777. Again, text REI to 33777. Buy low, sell high. Buy low, sell high. It's a simple concept, right? But not necessarily an easy concept. Right now, high interest rates have crushed the real estate market. Prices are falling and properties are available at a discount, which means Fundrise believes that now is the time to expand the Fundrise Flagship Fund's billion-dollar real estate portfolio. You can add the Fundrise Flagship Fund to your portfolio in minutes by visiting Fundrise.com pockets. Fundrise.com pockets. Carefully consider the investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses of the Fundrise Flagship Fund before investing. This and other information can be found in the fund's prospectus at Fundrise.com flagship. This is a paid advertisement. TurboTax experts make all your moves count, filing with 100% accuracy and getting your max refund guaranteed. So whether you started a podcast, side hustled your way to some extra income, flipped a house, or finally bought your first rental property, your moves made a big difference in your life last year. Now it's time to make the most of your moves. Switch to TurboTax and make your moves count. See guarantee details at TurboTax.com guarantees. TurboTax.com guarantees. Experts only available with TurboTax Live. All right, guys. So let's get on to today's show. Today's guest is Michael Rogers, otherwise known as Mr. Rogers. Mr. Rogers has, uh, he's been a longtime member of Bigger Pockets, as, as you'll soon find out. And uh, he's been investing in single family duplexes, built triplexes. Uh, he's done the Burr strategy. And our focus today, a lot of it is going to be on self-storage because we, we haven't really spoken a lot about that. Uh, and, and of course, value investing, which is a very important theme for anyone and everybody. So uh, we, we definitely hope you'll pay attention. We cover investing at a really young age. We cover SEO, search engine optimization. 
Uh, so there's lots to learn for everybody. So tune on in and let's get to Michael. All right, ladies and gentlemen, he is Bigger Pockets member number 5302, one of the early guys. Let's welcome Michael Rogers. Michael, good to have you on the show, man. Hey, Josh. Hey, Brennan. Glad to be here. Glad to have you. Do, do people ever make the joke, Mr. Rogers, to you? Like, <laughs> Yes, I, I, especially as a kid, I used to get a, a lot of that. So, okay, yeah, well, I'm, I'm used to it. Glad to have you in the neighborhood, Mr. Rogers. Uh, so t- <laughs> <laughs> today, we're talking about uh, a number of things, but specifically a little bit about self-storage. And we're going to get into that. I know you do more than just that, so this will be a show that encompasses more than that. But I do want to pick your brain on that because from what I can tell, self-storage is a pretty awesome niche to get into. Uh, and so I want to kind of find out if that's true. We'll talk about what the pros and cons and all that good stuff. But before we get started, uh, where are you located? Where are you investing? And uh, how'd you get started? Sure. Yeah. Um, yeah, definitely. I'm in self-storage a little bit, and I think that'll be a good topic to cover. Uh, my background is I'm actually uh, in Chattanooga, Tennessee, or just outside Chattanooga, Tennessee. I grew up in Cleveland, Tennessee, and I live in Ottawa, Tennessee, which is all within the Chattanooga area. But I grew up in Cleveland, played a lot of junior golf growing up, played uh, college golf at University of Tennessee Chattanooga, got a degree in accounting. And then after that, I went on and worked at a regional CPA firm, uh, became a CPA, uh, worked there about four or five years. Then I went in, uh, basically kind of got a niche in internal controls auditing and went to work for a, a large insurance company in Chattanooga. Spent about four or five years there at a Fortune 500 insurance company, went to another uh, healthcare insurance company in Chattanooga. And I've been there for the last four years, the last two years been working part-time. I kind of was able to, I was very fortunate I was able to go from full-time to part-time. They let me do that. And it's been, a, it's been excellent. You know, as, as my business has ramped up on the real estate side, I've been able to uh, scale back a little bit on the, uh, the, I guess the job, kind of standard job. So those have kind of been working together. So uh, that's something I've been really fortunate to do. I didn't actually just quit my job. I kind of have transitioned a little bit. But yeah, I, I guess going all the way back to college, I bought my first duplex, built some triplexes and bought single family homes uh, and done a lot of investing through the years and uh, got about 350 self-storage units now on about wow. 11 or 12 residential units. Uh, it, it's enough to keep you busy, yeah. um, but it, but it's, it's, it's in a good spot right now. I feel good about where I'm at and uh, I'm excited about doing more of it. That's wow. awesome. That's really cool, man. And and I'm fascinated because I don't think we've talked to somebody who who's transitioned the way that you're transitioning. You know, typically mm-hmm. it's I'm going, I'm going, I'm going, then I quit my job. Yep. You know, yep. it's it's kind of neat to hear that you were able to go and work with your employer a way to work part time and continue. So I I'd, I'd love to hear a little bit more about that. How'd you how'd you do that? Uh, sure. Yeah. Um, you know, first of all, my employer has been very gracious. They've been extremely good and they've worked with me on that. And so I've been able to go, I transitioned to where I work four days a week there. So I'm Monday through Thursday there. Friday, Saturdays and Sundays is kind of family working on my real estate. Uh, I've got three kids and a wife. So um, that, that, that definitely keeps me busy there as well. Congratulations. Me too. Oh, you, you got three kids? I do. It's, it's, wow. uh, it's time consuming. Yeah, the third one, you know, when I went from two to three kids, you know, that, that one got kind of crazy, you know, because yeah. you're kind of playing zone defense at that point with three kids. <laughs> so, but yeah, um, I was able to do that. I talked to them, you know, I was somewhat of a specialized skill set. And so I do, this is kind of boring in the sense of accounting, but I do internal controls accounting, which is like Sarbanes Oxley. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's, uh, it's yeah, I don't even like, know what that is. Yeah, it's internal controls where you're looking at financial statements, make sure they're recorded correctly. 
it's somewhat specialized. So they, they I guess they needed that skill set and they were willing to let me work part time. So it's been a good, you know, it works out well for them and it, and it works out great for me. Um, and, and they were very gracious, but, it, and, and I was in a position at that company and knew the management well enough to where I was able to have that conversation with them. I don't know if that would work at all companies. Um, and, and I think before somebody has that conversation with them, you know, you need to kind of have a sense of where you're at, where that company's at. Is that something they'd be willing to do? Because, uh, you know, some places, you know, if they thought your heart's not a hundred percent in that place, they may have the opposite reaction to that. Yeah. Well, you know, that is actually one reason why, you know, a lot of people, they get excited about real estate and they want to quit their job. And so they, they let their work slip. I think I see yeah. that a lot, right? They're like, well, my heart's not in it anymore. So I'm not going to give my employer a hundred percent where I look at it from the opposite point. Like I would encourage people to give 150% or 200% during that time. Cause then you can have those conversations because you become oh, yeah. invaluable to your company yeah. uh, rather than the guy who just you know, didn't care anymore because he's going to get rich in real estate. And I think that's yeah. kind of, you know, it's the opposite. I, I think in many ways, you, you, any listener probably knows that the four hour work week was this struggle for me. And, and, <laughs> well, and I think it's because of that, you know, the, the book, I love most of what's in the book, but there's some things about it that I really don't like. And it's outsourcing yourself, outsourcing your heart and soul to somebody else. And I, you know, I, I have big issue with that. And, mm-hmm. you know, I, I want to press upon our listeners that, Exactly what Brandon said. You know, if if you're gonna be working for uh, an employer while you're doing your real estate, you know, stick to your job. Do what you're supposed to be doing. Do a good job at it. And and there there are reasons for it. And you're you're the prime example of it. You know, being able to continue working. And and I bet you over time, if you want to cut down another five hours, another ten hours, and so on and so forth, they'll let you do that until you're at the point where you're ready to go. And and that works out great for you because now you've got the income still coming in from work. You can use that to get you know financing for whatever you know you need to do. So I, I love it. I think it's great. Yeah, you're you're absolutely right. That's that's the thing. You you, you to make a good point. You absolutely have to when you're at that job and when you're doing that work. You got to give it a hundred percent, and you can't be coming across of hey, you know, I, you know, I'm I'm rich on the side, so I don't really need to be doing this because that comes across and they'll get rid of you real fast if <laughs> if you do come across that way. So th- that is, that's an excellent point. Yeah, cool. So let's let's talk. Let's go back to your story a little bit. Uh, you you mentioned uh, you were in college and mm-hmm. you bought a duplex, and then you talked about building a threeplex and and then your units and, and so on. So in college, how'd you go about buying a duplex while you were uh, still a student? Yeah, it was my senior year. I was you know getting kind of close to graduation, and I was fortunate. My, my father was actually worked in banking. He's he's a retired CPA as well, but he he was in banking, so I understood a lot about banks um, and how they they operate, and so I understood the loan to value issues and stuff. So I had a little bit of money saved up. I was able to put that towards it, and they were willing to do uh, you know eighty five percent of the appraisal. So I got it a good deal. Got eighty five percent of the appraisal as opposed to eighty five percent of cost. And so I didn't have to have a huge down payment. They've gotten a little more strict on that in the last few years about, you know, the, the loan to value. You know, you've kind of got loan to value can mean two things. One is if you're refinancing, here's what this thing's appraised for. The bank will lend you 85 cents on every dollar. Or it may be if you're buying it, 85 cents on the dollar what you pay for it. Well, that makes a big difference whether it's cost or what the appraisal is because a lot of times you get the appraisal higher than the cost. So you don't have to come up with as much money. Yep. So th- that's, that's how I was able to get into that and, and start out with a duplex. What, is, uh, what does a duplex go for where in that area? I mean, are we, are we talking, you know, I, I don't know Tennessee that well. I'm assuming it's probably not like a three, $400,000 duplex. They're probably what, sub 100K or something? 
Yeah, this one, this was in 2001. I think it was a duplex for maybe 110, 115. Okay. Right on. Uh, they're a little hey, more now. But Did you live in any of it? Were you house hacking that or did you just rent it out? I just rented that one out. Later okay. on, I, I bought another duplex and lived in it. And I did house hack, so okay. uh, I did do that. That's awesome. So what would you tell? You know, you've got high school kids and college kids who, who might be listening to the show. What would you tell somebody who's, you know, young, young person who's thinking about, you know, getting into it? Is it too soon? Is it, you know, a good idea to start that young? Uh, you know, did you make any mistakes because you were so young or, or nah? Yeah, no, I, I would say number one is, you know, you can always start saving up money. You're always can use having cash on the side. So if you're, you know, if you're out there and you're 16 years old or whatever, start setting aside some money because whether you get into real estate or you want to become an entrepreneur in any form, having that seed capital, that that's good to have. Um, you know, learn as much about banking as you can because that's probably where you're starting out. You're going to be borrowing from local banks. I've done a lot of that and uh, building those relationships with them, learning about the business as much as you can. I think those are all really, really important. So. Yeah, yeah. Right on. I, I think that a, a lot of people, they think, you know, someday I want to get into real estate, maybe 10 years from now, maybe 20 years from now or whatever, especially like the college kids. Right. And so they don't save the money. They don't start living that, that mentality. Cause a lot of it's a mindset, right? Like if you have the mindset as a college kid, like it doesn't matter how old you are. It doesn't matter if you're 12 years old, like it's kind of a, a largely a mindset thing. So I think that's a fantastic advice. Absolutely. Yeah. And uh, I've been a big fan. You know, my whole investing philosophy is kind of Warren Buffett. I know you've had several other people on here that kind of take that. But I've really, I think his idea of value investing, buying things at a discount with a margin of safety, uh, am I not smiling enough or something? No, no, no that's Warren, Warren the Duck. That's Warren oh, Buffett's okay. 50 year <laughs> anniversary Warren Buffett Duck. That did I'm, you go there? Did you go I, there? For I, that? Did, I did not, but uh, Mindy did. Min, Mindy, who Mindy. works for us, did. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, um, I, I've been to two of them. I, it's been a few years, but I've gone to two. And you're talking uh, and about the Berkshire Hathaway uh, annual shareholder meeting. Yeah, sure. and I, I don't have any. I mean, I've got like the B shares. I don't have the big ones. But that is, if you're an entrepreneur or you're a capitalist, that is, that's like Disneyland. I mean, it's just so much fun to go there. And, you know, they've got all these, there's so many people there. You get to see him talk. You get, you know, you do the whole experience of seeing, they bring in all the vendors. So you've got, I don't know, Clayton Holmes, you've got the Justin Boots, you, you, Geico, everybody's there. So you get to walk through and there's such an excitement there. It literally is Disney World for yeah, entrepreneurs and capitalists. So I, if you get a chance, I recommend people go to that. That's, That's awesome. Cool. That's very so, cool. That's awesome. So, so let's go to this building, a, a triplex. So, you know, you've got huh? these, these small multis and you, you decide, hey, I, I want to build. I mean, how do you transition from just acquiring to actually building your own properties? Yeah, I just I learned along the way. Um, I think it was just kind of I, I found a contractor, and I really he, he had all the contacts, but I was almost acting like the general contractor in some sense. I was, you know, learning. Okay, here's here's this sub. Here's what comes next. You know, you start out with the foundation, you move along the walls, and you know, your sheetrock, electrical, the order they go in. So I, I learned a ton and, and just kind of helped manage those people, and I was paying them all along the way. And learn that way. I think that was kind of the steps. And once you kind of get the way things flow, it's the same every time. There's variations, but the basic model stays the same. Does that knowledge that you gain doing that? I mean, does that help you today in what you're doing? Is that does it help in evaluating potential deals? How does it assist you? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, um, 
It does because you know how much things cost. You know, hey, if there's a problem with this, here are the steps I've got to take, and here's the order they got to go in. You know, you, you don't want to start out painting something if you're going to have to rip the wall out or change out the electrical and do all these other things. You know, you want to make sure you hit them in the right order so you're not having to go back and redo things. And you get it, and you just get those relationships with various subcontractors. And I think you guys have talked about this a lot uh, on your show, but getting good subs, uh, you know, electricians, plumbers, uh, painters. All those guys. I mean, that's really critical if you're going to be doing this business is, is being able to get those things, get those guys to show up on time, have them charge a reasonable rate, have them be relatively honest. In finding those, that's very important in maintaining I, those. I like how relatively honest is the high bar that we've set in <laughs> 2015 for contractors. Yeah. I mean, well, you know, they don't have to be completely honest, but just, you know, relatively. Yeah. Well, I, I probably misspoke there, but yeah. Oh, no, I don't, I don't think you did, though. But that's, that's the problem. <laughs> Yeah, mine are wonderful, but I've had some, you know, and, and there's, you know, just, and I don't know if they intentionally are that way, but I think maybe they're just optimistic when they quote sometimes. And then when they get around to billing, they're more realistic. Uh, you know, you know, I didn't have, know I was going to have to paint all four walls of that room. You know, yeah. I just thought, <laughs> but, well, it was there, you know, when, when yep. you looked at it, why would it change? So I, mean, I think everybody that's been in real estate for very long, you know, I've been in it 15 years has experienced that with contractors. That's, yeah, it's just, just part of the trade. Yeah. Cool, man. Well, so let, let's transition. I, and I know you've got a bunch of other residential units, uh, but we really wanted to talk to you about the self-storage thing. You, you said you've got 350 self-storage units. Uh, so let's, let's talk about that. How do you get into self-storage? Why self-storage? Yeah. Uh, like I said, I'm, I'm, just, I'm always an investor. So I'm looking for things that, as far as you look at how much cash do you have to lay out, and then what's it going to bring back in time? You know, after you pay out all your expenses, what's the revenue minus all the expenses? What's it going to do? And starting in about, I guess the market crashed in 2008, 2009. In 2010, I started seeing some really good deals on things. You know, a lot of property, particularly in our area, was sitting around. It had been sitting there while people had been trying to sell it. So you're able to get it at really good deals. So I came across a smaller self-storage facility. It had a single family house on it. And then it also had uh, like 50-something storage units. And we, we already had a, um, uh, my family already had a small business in town where I could, where I could collect rent from, where I could uh, have people call and sign up leases and so forth. So that was able to bench off that and use that as, as, to get some additional income. So I just looked at it and said, okay, I don't remember the exact numbers. But, you know, here's what the price is. It needs to be fixed up. It's not, it's not performing. All three of the self-storage facilities I bought have been facilities that weren't performing, so to speak. They were either totally vacant, they've been run down, they, they weren't fixed up. And, it, and I think it's a function of, I think self-storage is an excellent investment. I, 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 really, I really do. And I've written a, a blog post about, you know, it's, it, the anatomy of self-storage uh, property or purchase. But I think a lot of people, when they get into it, they, they kind of see it as being, hey, this is going to be so super simple. You know, you don't have to paint the thing. You don't have any plumbing. You don't have to deal, you know, if the tenant doesn't pay, great. You just auction them and it's just like storage wars on TV. You're going to make a ton of money, you know, because they're going to leave luxury goods in there and you can sell them for this huge amount of money. And it really, you know, it's not quite that simple. At the same time, if, if you're somebody that's good at project management, if you're good at, you know, dotting the I's, crossing the T's and following through on things, you can do really well. I mean, because one of the things you, you deal with is, let's say you've got, you know, for a single family house, maybe you're in it for a thousand bucks. So you got one tenant you're dealing with. Whereas in self-storage, you've got 10 or 15 tenants you're dealing with. And that, those 10 or 15 tenants, 
they're cycling in and out. They may stay a month, they may say 12 months, they may say six months. Typically a house, they're going to stay a year, two, three years. So you've got a lot of that going on. So you're having to get those units turned over. You get you got to, you know, uh, get new tenants in. You got to get them out. You got to get them cleaned up. You got people, they're moving all the time. They're more, you know, their phone numbers are changing, their addresses are changing. You're trying to get a hold of them. You're having to auction them. So there's a lot of logistics going on. So if you don't if you don't have systems in place to manage that, it's extremely it can get overwhelming for somebody. And then I think that's when people kind of throw in the towel, and it kind of does a spiraling effect where things get out of hand, things get dirty, they get messed up. That brings in the worst tenants. The good tenants don't want to be around a place that looks like crap or it's not being run well. And you end up what ends up happening a lot of times you end up with a whole bunch of units that are full, but nobody's paying your rent. And uh, uh, gotcha. And that, that, that's where a lot of times when I purchase these things, that's the situation that you're in is you're going in and you're remediating that by trying to identify the people, trying to clean them out, trying to get the people on a system of paying on the first of the month. And here's what happens if you don't pay by the fifth of the month, you got a late fee. On the 30th of the month, we're going to lock you out and, and just kind of going through that system. And yeah. it's the same, I mean, it's the same as training tenants. It's just a different yeah. form of, of training, right? Yep. Yeah, exactly. Okay. It's just high, it's high volume training tenants. You know, yeah. you got 340 tenants for an X investment where you'd have much less on a smaller, on a residential. I love that concept you're talking about, about like the spiraling decline, you know, like, because that happens in every, in every market. I mean, when I yep. look for single family houses, even like, but, yep. but more so for the commercial property, that's exactly what happens is people, uh, apartment complexes, whatever people stop fixing it up, which then causes it to decline in value, which makes them stop fixing up even more because they have no money and it just gets worse and worse. And so, yeah, I mean, value at investing. I love that. And the fact that you can do that. I've never really known anybody that's done it with self-storage to the degree that you have. And so I think that's great. So what, I mean, what does that even mean when you say fix up when you, when you're going to rehab, I mean, is that new garage doors on it? Is it, you know, paint roof, that kind of thing? Yeah. That the first one had issues in the sense that I think about 20 or 30 of the units had burned down, uh, probably 10 years before that. And they they just kind of let them languish there. (laughs) And, And, so, yeah, so, I mean, if you're driving by, do you want to rent there? And think about the people that are willing to stay there. And then the people yeah. that were staying there, they may pay when they want to. They may not pay. And it also had, it had this particular property came with a house that had a tenant in it that wasn't paying either. And I, I, I don't know why, but they never, ever got her to pay. And she is somebody, you know, we could get into this, but we ended up having to get her to leave. I ended up going, you know, I, I got her to sign a month-to-month lease when she moved in and eventually just said, hey, this isn't working out. She was just very crazy. And, uh, <laughs> and, and she wouldn't leave. You know, we had, to, we had to actually get the sheriff out there to do the set out, and I set her stuff out on the side of the road uh, to, get, to get her to leave. But she, she was a very difficult individual. She'd been evicted, you know, 10 times before. Because I, I bought it with her in it, and I found out when I was calling up, you know, to do the eviction process, calling the sheriff's department, they're like, I can't find, you know, is it, are you this person against her? And I'm like, no, are you this person? <laughs> and they, were, they, they were going through like, you know, there's like 10 other landlords that had evicted her prior and she just gotten stuck there. But it, it, that was a real experience dealing with her. Uh, but we did eventually, it took 76 days from the time I told her to leave to the time I actually got her to leave. But she, she was a mess. But like you were saying back on the self-storage, yeah, we were going through, rebuilt the units, changing out garage doors, redoing the walls, fixing it up, cleaning it up, laying out new gravel on the, on the driveways, changing the roofs out, gutters, painting it, just making it look presentable somewhere. Because if, if you're going to store your valuables there, you want somewhere that, that looks nice. And in my opinion, it doesn't have to be beautiful, but it, but it doesn't need to be... Uh, stuff falling down or look really dirty. Nobody wants to put their valuables there. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah. Right on. Right on. So I just want to cycle back really, really quick. You had mentioned the, your family uh, was in some kind of business. You guys are collecting kind of rents and you didn't really get into that. And, and uh, I, I hope I'm not prying, but I, I was just curious, what kind of business uh, were you guys in, which was Made made the transition easy for you to get into the self storage. Yeah, in the town we're in, they have a small loan business, so that gives you somewhere where you've got a okay. receptionist where they can come in and make payments and stuff. So and they can make calls and people call and ask for rent. They can immediately go there and sign their lease and ask questions about what are the rates and so forth. So it works out well. You know, if you're gonna if you're gonna start out small in self storage, if you're not gonna buy lots of units, you've got to somehow figure out a way to spread that overhead of a, of somebody. Uh, that's going to be able to answer the phones, take do leases. So you either need to buy a lot of them or you need to, you know, whether you own an insurance agency or you've got some sort of uh, small office for appraisals or real estate or property management or whatever it is, if you've got something along those lines, you can really bench off that and start a lot better. Otherwise, you probably need to ramp up and start out with three or 400 units to try to have somewhere. I know some people, they do it, they do it all online. They don't have a location. In and you, you can definitely do that. The software's gotten better. We've got some good... Our, our software we use is really good. It allows people to go online. You know, they, they can find us online. Then they can go on sign up online. We can, you know, it'll send them a, a contract to sign. They sign it, send it back to us, and we can do everything online. In theory, that works great, but you, it does, you really need hands on the, you know, boots on the ground yeah. uh, to be able to do it and manage it well because there's just all these one-off things that happen. So that, that's really worked out really well. Yeah, gotcha. I've always thought like, you know, self-storage would be fun to get into. But then I always think like, would I, I mean, I rented a storage unit one time back when, right, right after college, I rented one and I remember I had to like meet the lady. It was a little old lady. I had to meet there out there by the airport and she had to yeah. unlock the thing. I mean, it was just a very like intensive thing for her to have to come do. And there was, yeah. you know, 200 units there. And I thought that sounds like a not very fun thing to have to go out there every day and meet tenants. I mean, yeah, that's that's kind of what held me back. So I like the idea of having a, a local business if you, maybe your family or you own one or you know, that can be a, a a central location for people to go. I think that's kind of cool. Exactly. Yeah. You can't, you can't scale if you're having to go out and meet yeah. every single tenant because you're, you're renting these things, you know, a couple of day a lot yeah. of times. And if yeah. you're, if you're having to go out there, leave your job and go do that, there's no scalability in that. So th- that, that's the thing on, on systems and stuff with real estate because it's such high volume, anything high volume, whether it's your written apartments or your written uh, self-storage or, or whatever you're doing. If you're doing lots of volume, you've got to have systems in place where, hey, you do this, you do this, you do this. And somebody's like, hey, I want to do this, this, and this the other way. You're like, you know what? I think there's a place down the road that probably would fit you better, you know, that you might want to try. Because you, you do, you get, when you're doing that volume of people, you get people that are excellent. You, you get great tenants. You get good tenants, and then you get a certain percentage that, are, that aren't as good. You know, either you get the kind that don't pay, and you get the people that are really, really difficult. They're very demanding to some extent. And we're kind of trying to rent. Uh, we, we, we stay on the lower end of the price point and try to give good value on that. And we tell folks that up front, we're like, hey, you know, we may not be able to do every single thing you may get at this other place or meet your absolute highest goals. And if that's, that's okay, if we can't, uh, you know, we may recommend you go somewhere where you can get that. A lot of times they're not ever going to find anywhere that they can get that, but it's better than saying uh, no to them. Yeah. Yeah. So, so at the end of the day, I mean, is there, you know, with apartments, you're screening tenants with commercial, you're screening tenants with self storage is, I, I mean, I, I use self storage like Brandon back in college, you know, for a few summers and, and it was great. And I, I walked in, I said, I want to rent a unit. They said, great, give us this money. I gave them the money. I went and I was done. I, I put a lock on the thing. I put my stuff in there. And then when I was done, I, 
took my lock, I gave them my money and, and it was a wrap, right? So that's, yep. I guess, an easy tenant. But you know, what kind of screening is necessary above and beyond kind of that conversation you're having? Is there even a screening process? I don't, I don't remember. Yeah, um, so you're exactly right. Residential, it's a much more thorough screening process. For, for a house or somebody's renting, I'm going to pull yeah. a credit report. I'm going to talk to their previous landlords. I'm going to get a really good idea on these people before I let them in because the process of getting them out is a lot more difficult. Um, yeah. It's not easy to get them out in self-storage, but it's more defined. So each state's different on their eviction laws for self-storage, so it's state by state. But Tennessee... You know, you get after 30 days, you can overlock them. So you essentially put a lien on the property. You got to notify them, send them certified mail letter, say, hey, you know, hey, we're, you haven't paid. We're going to overlock you. And then at 60, technically, I guess you can go ahead and, and do the auction. We don't ever get anywhere near 60. We're probably six months, a year out, somebody before we'll auction them. And we're going to try everything we can not to auction. We'll, we'll work with them, you know, to say, hey, can you make some sort of payment? Can you try something? Because we don't want to auction it. That, that, that's not a win for us because all we're going to collect is up to what they owe us. You know, In theory, when you do an auction to recover money or for what they owe you, anything above and beyond what they owe you goes back to them. Yeah. And So, yeah, so I mean, that, if you're auctioning somebody's goods at you know, all these TV shows and stuff, when they're doing auctions, the folks who are payment received, you get up to what you're owed, and then beyond that, it goes to the person who's got the goods. Yeah, we've, we've never gone that. But in the theory, that, that's what the lien is. is it, wow. you know, that prop, that property is being used to pay back what that person that's taking a lien on that property and well, sure. paying it back has done it. So, And we never get more than what, what we're owed. I mean, that just it just doesn't happen because we'll get some, you know, we might get four or $500 on. But for the most part, you know, they're 20 30 maybe 100 bucks. you're going to get off a unit. And it's it's a lot of it is... I'm sure in some of these areas you see on TV, they, they, there are great cars and luxury items kept in storage. But for the most part, you're going to get a mattress, you're going to get a Christmas tree, <laughs> uh, a, a broken bookcase, a few of those, a lot of clothing. And so you, the people that are going to show up are people that do like um, thrift store sales. Those, those are going to be your big buyers. They're going to go in, they're going to take that stuff, and they're going to put it in some sort of thrift store and sell it out like that. But you don't get tons and tons of money on it. Interesting. Right yeah, I, I like that show. I watched it a few times that Storage Wars, I think. Well, there's yeah. like 30 of them yeah, now. Yeah, there are a lot of them. Yeah. yeah. Uh, there's so much drama, you know, and the guys are bidding. Up. I don't know. It's such a, like a drama filled show. You're saying that's probably not real realistic, at least where you're at? No, I think that's a lot like these home flipping shows. You know, yeah. there, there's, there's some reality to that in the sense that you can buy low, fix it up, and sell it. But they got to make, they got to make a good TV. So they're, they're I, I don't know if they plant things in there or not, but, or they just yeah. do a lot of editing to get the really good ones. But, that's a, I don't see that. Yeah. I mean, because that's an interesting point, right? If 99% of them just have a mattress and a broken bookshelf, that show would yeah. be terrible. So they must oh, yeah. know what's in them before or they open pl- them. Or they plant or they, stuff in there. Or they plant which, stuff in there. You like, know, yeah. I make no accusations. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. Always find what you love and love what you find at Total Wine & More. With so many great bottles to choose from at the lowest price, it's easy to find your favorite Cabernet, Chardonnay, or maybe you're more of a whiskey drinker. Well, one of their single barrel bourbons is sure to please. With a little help from one of their friendly guides, find the perfect bottle that's just right for you. 
hosting friends or family and don't have time to shop in store? Well, that's no problem because Total Wine & More makes it easy to get everything you need for any occasion with curbside pickup and delivery. But you know what the best thing about shopping at Total Wine & More is? That every bottle comes with the confidence of knowing you just found something amazing. With the lowest prices for over 30 years, find what you love and love what you find only at Total Wine & More. Visit TotalWine.com to learn more. That's TotalWine.com. Curbside pickup and delivery available in most areas. Spirits not sold in Virginia and North Carolina. Drink responsibly. B21. Funny. All right. All right. So moving on, I want to talk a little bit about like, what are the cons of self-storage? Why, why shouldn't I get into it? What are the things to look out for? Yeah, I, I think it's like, it's really like any investment in the sense that the, the real key is buying it right. So making sure you don't pay too much. So I bought that first one. And then the second one I bought, this thing was, it was a 5,000 square foot commercial building up front. And then behind it, there was a one, one building and then they had two concrete pads built out where you could put more self-storage on. And they already had the fence around it. And this was in, I don't know, this is 2010, 2011 was out there and they wanted 600 grand for this thing. And I, I talked to the realtor and so forth. And they're like, you know what? They're pretty. They're really wanting to sell this thing. So I came in at 200 and they, they, they were at first, they're like, eh, we're not so sure, blah, blah, blah. And I said, that's okay. You know, right now I'm okay. And then they came back and said, okay, you know, we're, we're interested in it. So I went in and then at that point I went in and looked at it. And one in the office building, the, the ceiling was falling down and blah, blah, blah. So but when it was all said and done, I was able to get it for 180 and wow. put about 20, 20 in it. And, uh, and get it to work, which is really, really good uh, as far as cash flow wise, you know, for the, for that number of, that number of units. And then they already had the concrete poured for two more 4,800 square foot slabs. They already had all the fencing around, all the, that stuff was set up to where you got those fixed costs. And then you had that 5,000 square foot office warehouse where where we turned that into climate control storage eventually. But we kind of started out small where we, we had that first one, we got that filled up. Then we built out the second one. The next year we built out the third one. The fourth year, we built out the climate controlled and the big warehouse, and we just kind of took it a little bit at a time. But some, I think the biggest con with self-storage or any investment is if you pay too much, you get where you're not making enough to pay for what the true expenses are, whether it's, you know, I know you guys talk about the 50% rule all the time, but that, that's kind of true. You know, if you, you first look at something, you're like, that, that's crazy. That doesn't make any sense. There's not that much expense in this. But there is. There's a lot of expense that pop up. There's a lot of one-time expenses that happen every single year that people don't think about. So that's probably the biggest thing. The, the second tough thing... Hey, I, before you go to the second tough thing, do you mind just throwing out what those uh, some of those are, uh, the, those hidden expenses? With, with self-storage or just... Uh, yeah, 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 self-storage. Well, you know, one of the things that we found is the gates. I mean, those things, the gate operators, you've got those suckers. I mean, I've always got somebody out there on those three facilities looking at those things. I would say every three or four months, there's somebody out there and it's not cheap. You, they're, they're sitting out in the, the con- weather conditions. They, if, if those things aren't operating, you get phone calls. People want to get their stuff or if they get stuck in there, uh, you got to have those working. And, and so you've got to have a good relationship with that gate person. That's always happening. You get vandalism. You get people... For whatever reason, people don't drive U-Haul. Well, I know why people don't drive U-Hauls every day, but when they get in them, they just turn idiots. I mean, they just they <laughs> bounce into, you know, they're going to hit your buildings, they're going to hit your gutters. You know, you got to put up these kind of idiot poles to keep them from side-swapping your building. <laughs> Is and that so the technical name? Yeah, I think they call them <laughs> bollards. But, uh, but yeah, you got, you got to have that stuff. You know, there's that. You're, you're always cleaning them out. Uh, you know, even, you know, we've, we've got a, a fee we charge people if they don't clean out, but trying to collect that's, Obviously, you're not. It's very difficult when somebody's left to try to collect that fee. But you're always cleaning them out. You're always getting rid of stuff. There's there's a lot of that maintenance 
on those. You've got the lights are going to go out. You've got various things like that. But a lot of it is another another thing is you're just dealing with so many people and everybody. You can imagine if you've got ten tenants for your ten residential properties, they all have issues. You know, people have personal issues, and and a lot of times those become your issues. Unfortunately, if you've got three hundred people you've got that many issues you're having to deal with. So those are the kind of things that you have to deal with and have systems and, and, and processes in place. Yeah. Yeah. I love, I love the emphasis you have on the systems and processes. You know, we've been, a lot of our guests recently here on the podcast have been the same way. And, you know, I'm a, I'm a big systems guy. I know Josh is a big systems guy. We just love that concept of having things run just smoothly like an engine. I love that. Um, yeah. Okay. So you said first tough thing. And then you said second tough thing was, do you remember what that was? When I the cut second- you off. <laughs> All right. So yeah, we were just talking about the, uh, the cons of it, you know, and it was having to buy correctly and, uh, you know, making sure your numbers are good and then understanding all those hidden expenses. So yeah. and then ha- and just dealing with the people. I mean, okay. the people, most of the time the people are good, but you're getting a lot of transitory top folks involved. It's a lot of collections. Uh, this is somewhat of a collections business to some extent. You're going to have a very large number of people that you're doing reminders. Our system, our software set up. So kind of talking about those systems. The last day of the month, the day before the first, it automatically sends out an email and a text to everybody. So we, we make it sure everybody signs up, has an email address with us and a cell phone. And so they get that automatic notification. On the third of the month, they get another text message, another email saying, hey, by the way, this rent's passed to you. And on the 5th at 5 p.m., we're going to charge a $20 late fee, no exceptions. Because we tell people up front, we're like, hey, rent's always done on or due on or before the first. If you pay on the 6th, you're not a day past due. You're six days past due. Yeah, so we say the same thing. Yep. So because a lot of times people come in on the six and they're like, I'm one day past due. Why is there a late fee? And you're like, well, no, you're, you're six days past due. And, and, and if somebody's got a really, really great reason, you know, if they're in the hospital or something, we'll work with them. But for the most part, it's, this takes care of it. And then on the fifth, we start, we'll send out manual, we'll send those uh, emails out manually. But having that software is really important because if you're sending out letters and stuff, or you're having to mail that crap, if you're having to call all these people all the time, that's really tough to do when you're doing volume. Uh, it, it's, it's impossible to do it on any scale. So we do it. It's automatically set up to do that. And then and then we send them out emails out manually. We just click at the button after the fifth. We'll send them out periodically. And then we get those people, you know, there'll be 20 or 30 people that are past you at that. Then we do have to start calling. But it's a lot easier to call 20 or 30 versus several hundred from the beginning. Yeah. You know, as, yeah, as you're saying this, I'm looking at my own business and I'm realizing, you know, we spend... 50 bucks a month, maybe on, on letters and stamps, right? Plus my wife's yeah. time of printing them and going to the post office, dropping them off, typing them up. I'm like, why don't I just, again, going back to the system thing, why don't I go and send out a letter, one letter to every single tenant and demand or ask or call or whatever their cell phone number and their email address? I mean, they all have an email address. They probably yeah. do. I mean, that would probably right there just cut down, you know, several hours a month of work. Uh, from oh, absolutely. Yeah. Company. And, and that, that'll free up a lot of time for you, a lot of money. Yeah. And this Systems. software we got, our, our software, I mean, it's only $49, $50 a month to, for this stuff to automatically do that. So, I mean, I guess you can send an email or you can even have it set up where it just automatically does it. So, I mean, that that saves you a lot of time. Do you mind me asking what software that is? Yes. Uh, <laughs> I've gone blank. Let me, hold on. I can look. I actually like that idea of the text messages also on the first saying, hey, rent's due, and then automated like it. it. Yeah, I think I'm going yeah, to institute that. So. We use Easy Storage Solutions. They're out of Utah. It's uh, several guys out there, but... And they, they're really good for really smaller self-storage and residential. I use them for all my residential stuff as well. I put all my tenants on that, so they're all doing that. Sorry, yeah, I didn't know that. Off top of my head. <laughs> that's all right. That's, right. that's all right. That's cool. Great. Hey, so you, you had talked about vandalism really, really quickly, like uh, security issues, vandalism. What, mm-hmm. you know, is it just people 
I mean, is it people breaking into other people's units? Is it uh, people, you know, just graffitiing on the property? What what kind of vandalism do you deal with as a self storage operator? Yeah, mainly you'll get occasionally you'll get somebody that break into my unit. So we always tell people there's almost like three lines of defense for self storage. One, you want to have a place that's got a good gate, good. Uh, uh, fence system, so somebody just can't walk in there. Um, two, you want to have a really good lock. You want to have a disc lock versus a lock that's got a big old thing that I can easily get a pair of clippers around. And three, you, you want uh, security cameras as a deterrent. None of these things are going to absolutely stop somebody that wants to get in a storage unit. If somebody wants to get through that into that self storage unit, they're going to get in. If they know something's in there, there's nothing we're going to be able to do to stop them. But you, you do get that occasionally. You get people that get their stuff uh, broke into, um, and you, you just have to work through it. I mean, it's a you know, and when we go through and say, "Hey, you really need to get that good dislock," because it's much less likely somebody's going to break into that unit than you know if they're just looking for an easy target. They're going to pick the little small lock that's got an easy thing I, they can clip. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. Right on. Um, what about security deposits? When you have a tenant move in, do they pay a security deposit or anything, or is it just first month's rent? No, we don't actually do a security deposit. And um, going back to your previous point, how do we underwrite them? You know, as far as getting new tenants, when we first started out, there really was no underwriting problem. If you could show up and you had the money, we would do it. We've since kind of gotten a little stricter on that. We now require that you have a valid driver's license. And I think some of that's come back to be common sense that if somebody drives up to rent a storage unit and they can't give you a driver's license that's, that's valid, uh, they're, they're already breaking the city that you're in's laws. What makes you think they're going to follow your rules and yeah. pay you and do that? If they're if they're willing to take a chance on getting arrested or fined, they're probably not going to obey your rules either. So we've we've done that. We've noticed people that can only give us ID only and could not give us you know a driver's license. They tended to go bad more often. So that's one thing we've done to kind of try to weed out some of the bad ones. Okay, okay. And then how do you find tenants? I know you mentioned earlier the internet. I mean, is that your main source? Do you advertise in the newspaper or what? Yeah, I think. You know, I think the evolution of renting self-storage has gone from Yellow Book. Uh, I think everybody was on the Yellow Pages, you know, 10, 15 years ago. That's, What's that? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, that was a big deal. And those guys had a monopoly. I mean, if you ever had to deal with them back then, they really, you know, they were going to go up 10, 15, 20% a year, and take it or leave it kind of deal. And then since, you know, the disrupt, disruptive effect of technology, they've, you know, they're, I mean, they've still got a model out there, but it's not quite as powerful or not near as powerful as it was. So search engine optimization, that is, if you're in self-storage or you're anything high volume, I would say if you're in, if you've got a lot of apartment buildings and you're constantly needing it, you get a new pipeline of customers coming in, that's key. That That's it now. I mean, you've got to be, when somebody comes in and stops in self-storage, Cleveland, Tennessee, which is where ours is, they got to see Chandler properties. I mean, and they'll see that one, two, three times on page one. They're going to see it from the Google Maps. They're going to see it just from just the normal search engine optimization where they can go out and, and see an article about you. So you've got, you've really got to work that. And that takes a little time to get that built up. But once you get it going, that's pretty much where we're getting all, a very, very large percentage of our stuff is that, that SEO, search engine optimization. So what are some tips that people can follow here that are listening, whether they have rentals of their own or whether they're doing a I buy houses website or whatever? What are some tips that they can do to get more search traffic? Yeah, I think, you know, number one, you need to go out on, on Google places. You need to go on Bing places. These are things you can go on for free. You know, you go out there and you set the information up about your business and then they're going to mail you a little postcard with a code on it. You're going to take that code, you're going to enter it in and that's so they know that you really are located at that spot. And you're going to put all the information you can on there. You're going to have a, you're going to have a good website. Um, you need to have a website that is functioning which I'll check this morning and mine's not. So I made a quick call to, the, uh, <laughs> to my uh, uh, web guy to say, hey, what's going on? 
but um, that should be back up by the time we run this this podcast. Yeah. But but you got to have that, and you and you got to work. You got to be doing blog, you know, having a good blog where you're got where you're writing about stuff, and it can't just be a bunch of crap. You know, you can't just be putting stuff out there with keywords in it. You got to have stuff to where people actually care about it, and that's a big thing. You know, if you listen to any of these things like Google puts out about, hey, how do you get ranked? They want quality content. They want things out there. Same same way you guys. You guys put out quality content at bigger pockets. So if somebody types in real estate investor investment websites, y'all are going to show up. If you do that with your website, if you're you know how to rent self storage, what size storage unit, Donnie? These are kind of things people are looking for. If you put out good articles about that, Google's algorithms and uh, little robots or whatever they're out there crawling those websites will find that. And they'll rank you higher. So if you do that, if you, and a function of that is also having those backlinks. You need to have from good websites, you know, them linking back to your your website. So if you if you're writing articles and so forth, and they're linking back, and it's got to be quality. Google's really started penalizing, or they they penalize for a while people that just go out and put a crap comment on every website they go to, or try to get these cheap backlinks that they'll they'll have the negative effect on. It. But if you're actually putting out good quality content, you're active doing that. That helps. That helps rank you higher with those with those websites. Yeah, yeah, right and on. that's. I mean, that's the key across the board for anyone listening on SEO is good quality. Period. <laughs> Targeted yeah. quality content. You said self storage. Cha- uh, not Chandler, but uh, you know whatever it is, Tennessee. You're right about storage in that area. You do the the best job possible, and that's that's going to do it. Um, yeah. What? Uh, I, I, we're we're starting to kind of get get later in and we've got a few few remaining questions I'd love to tackle before we we finish up. You had talked about, uh, you know, we're talking about these properties and one thing we have not talked about are the numbers. So I, I hope, you know, you'd be willing to, to kind of go there with me on this. Um, yeah. So you had mentioned, I think it was that first facility. You said you paid, I think, 180, put 20 in. So that's 200K into this property. That's what, 50 units? So what, what kind of rents are you Am, am I? I may be misquoting you completely, and if so, no. I'm sorry. That, that's yeah, that's right. I'm trying to think back the exact numbers. I don't have them right in front of me, but at that time, I think there was um, 36, 40 units. Well, there was 36, I believe, in that one. We were getting a couple thousand. I would say it's probably somewhere around two percent, maybe like the two percent rule or okay. something or better. So if, I can't remember the exact numbers, but let's say if you. But, you know, if you're going to buy something for hundred grand, you need to be getting $2,000 or more a month in gross okay. rents. It, we've been able to do that. Um, it's hard because self-storage has gotten so popular. Trying to find something at 2% really, really hard. And so, I've, you know, in order to find those, I've resorted to just yellow lettering uh, people in my market and saying, hey, if you're ever interested in selling or you want to have a cup of coffee and blah, 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 and, and call me. And that's allowed me because I just bought one about two months ago. And that's how I got it. I just sent him a quick letter and, and was able oh, to get nice. it. Yeah, I was and just thinking as you were talking about this, I was like, I think I want to find out all the self-storage facilities in my area and just yeah. write a letter to them. I mean, there's not that many. There's probably a dozen, maybe two dozen. Because in you my have area. the infrastructure to manage a self-storage <laughs> facility and everything else that you do. I, but anyway, I'll moving on. Out. I'll figure that out. All right. Yeah. Hey, Michael, <laughs> occupancy. What, you know, at, at that 2%, you know, what, what kind of occupancy are you hoping for? Yeah, it's going to fluctuate, but typically 85% or better is what we're going to, sh- we'll kind of consider that somewhat full. Okay. Um, it's going to be near 100% during the summer. During, uh, coming the fall, Christmas, wintertime, it drops down. So it's going, to, it's going to cycle a little bit and it'll pick back up in the spring when people are moving and, and so forth. But that's kind of where you're going to see your occupancy rate. 
And if somebody, if, if you're looking for kind of that stuff, let's say somebody out there is saying, hey, I'm thinking about doing self-storage. I wrote down a couple of places you might want to go to. You might want to try like the SSA, Self-Storage Association. There's a inside self-storage. If you just Google those, you go out there. There's kind of like blogs and information. You can learn about self-storage if that's something you're interested in doing. Cool. cool very cool, cool. Very cool. Hey, maybe my last question, I guess, um, before we go to the fire round and Josh might have one more, but I want to know what you do personally in the business related to, I mean, are you the guy that actually goes and signs leases and shows units with people or do you have people that do that? Like, what do you do, Mike or Michael? Do you like Mike or Michael, by the way? Either one's fine. Michael's fine. Hi, right, Michael. Uh, I, I wanted do? to ask that in the beginning of the show. Yeah, you know, that's how uh, I roll. Well, yeah, I, I'm involved, uh, not so much on the day-to-day stuff. Um, I, I will go out there and clean them out uh, all the time on the weekends. I'm cleaning them out. I'm not renting them as as much. Uh, and we don't go out and show people that unit each time. You know, We say, hey, if you want to see some pictures of it, get on the website, check it out. And you can come into the office and you can rent it there and we'll get you fixed up. So that's one of those things to kind of save yourself some time. You got to get it to where you're not having to run around and do all these different hurdles to try to, try to get a new tenant. Otherwise, you'll just work yourself to death and sure. not make anything for your time. Uh, but yeah, and then I, the, the strategy of it, doing all, I do, I'm an accountant, so I like doing the bookkeeping and stuff. At some point, I'll probably have to outsource some of that. But um, I, I do those things. I make sure, you know, that the, the maintenance is getting done. I'm project managing it. So there's always things going on. I mean, it's just, it, just like you guys have got with real estate, your properties, there's always something breaking or something going on that you're having to manage the plumbers, electricians, the, the mowers, everybody. Yeah. Yeah. It gets overwhelming. Awesome. awesome. <laughs> hey, yeah. so I think my last uh, question on this, uh, you know, we talked about self-storage pretty much, I think fairly exhaustively. Um, I'm just curious <laughs> about bu- building versus buying. Um, is there any advantage to just building from scratch? Can can you do that more cost efficiently potentially, or or does it just make more sense to buy uh, buy something that's there? Yeah, again, it's just running the numbers on the situation. Typically, you know, like I think most of your people have seen residential. If you can find a distressed person or something that's not in its best shape, you're going to buy it cheaper at a discount than than going out and buying the land, going out pouring the concrete, building the units up, putting the fence around it. Typically, you can get it at quite a bit more of a discount if you find somebody that's motivated to sell. Just like, you know, if you decide you're going to build a single family house versus finding a motivated seller, like one of these we, we buy houses sites, you're going to probably going to be able to find a deal. I, I can't make one work where I buy one, a raw piece of land, and build it up to make it financially work for me. Um, I, I can buy, like the one I bought, I bought it at enough of a discount where it came with enough land and the, the pads set there where I could build onto it. It made sense to, to, to add on to that facility, but starting one from scratch currently in my market, I, I wouldn't be able to make that with enough margin to make it safe of an investment. Wow. Wow. That's okay. fascinating. That's yeah. fascinating. All right, man. So before we uh, go to the fire round, I've got one question. I said yep. up front that you were, uh, I think, member of 5,000 something or other. I mean, that's that's pretty serious. We've been a long, around a long time at Bigger Pockets. You know, you have as well. So, you know, as somebody who's been on the site for many, many, many years, I guess, you know, what advice do you have for somebody else who, you know, may just be joining and, and how they can get the most value out of a place like Bigger Pockets? Yeah. And I think you, you said, I think y'all are up to like 350,000 members. I didn't realize I was that early, but I knew I'd been there a while. Yeah. Um, but I think, you know, I, and I, I told you guys offline on this, but, you know, I think Josh, you've done an excellent job, Brandon, you too, coming in, just having a, the, the tone of, the, of this 
of this community you've got is, is, is great. It's legitimate. It's not we're trying to sell you some sort of boot camp or some sort of marketing thing. And I think even the, the community itself is set up to where even if you're on the, the forums and you're seeing somebody type something and you see somebody kind of get out and left field about something that's wacky, you'll have somebody come in and kind of shoot them down pretty quick. So th- that that's hard to find in, in real estate. If you top in looking for real estate investment, you're going to get 10 to 1, you're going to get somebody trying to sell you something. There's probably as many people selling books on how to make money in real estate as there are you know, people investing in real estate. So it, it, I think you guys have done a fantastic job on that. I would recommend anybody that's, you know, that's, that's on this site, watch the podcast. Y'all's podcasts are, are fantastic. I mean, this is, it's so easy to do. You can, you can put it on. And this and might you, be the best show that we've ever had, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh, well, I'm not going to say that, uh, but, but, uh, you guys do a great job on the on all the shows. I mean, you you know, from watching the shows like Brian Burke and Jay Scott and all those guys, you always pick up something when you hear these people talk. You know, I mean, whatever the, the topic is, you're going to find one or two little details, and it's so easy. You can put it on, and then you can check your email, do your bookkeeping, whatever, and you just kind of listen to it in the background, and you'll pick something up. So to me, the podcasts are by far the, the greatest asset you guys do just from learning. And, and the forums are great and meeting people and, and so forth, but I, I learn more from the podcast probably than anything. Well, right thank on. you. I, I learn cool. a lot from podcasts too. I mean, this episode, I've learned a ton of stuff. So I'm, I'm like, I'm not even kidding. I'm really excited to go out and look at like, Which is really storage. funny because this is the first time that we've been, talked to somebody and kind of a new thing for me where I was like, you know, maybe we should have gotten the other guy because this guy makes me not want to do it. Not, <laughs> <laughs> no, seriously. And, and I think that's a, I think it's a beautiful thing. That is why this is such a powerful medium. You know, mm-hmm. I think self-storage. I was really excited about self-storage. And then thinking about just, there's a lot of day-to-day. There's a lot going on. It's not a kind of sick, I mean, it's far more uh, time intensive than, than renting out a single family property, or at least it seems to me. It uh, seems like there's the potential for a lot more headaches as well. So it's fascinating. I mean, you're not dealing with toilets, but you're dealing with you know a lot of other stuff. Am, am I yeah. crazy? No, and you're right, and I, and I don't want to give the, the, the idea that, hey, self-storage is not a great investment. I'm no, not no, here. no. I, th- I think uh, it's, it's a great investment, but it's like any investment. you got to buy it at the right price to where you can afford to pay people to do the things you need to do to make it work. But you're right, though, you're dealing with a lot of people, and when you've got a lot of people you're dealing with, you've got more issues than just one, two, three people. But overall, it, it is a good investment. I, I want to communicate that to people. But just like any investment, buy it right. Don't pay too much. Yeah. yeah. And, and I wasn't trying to dissuade people from doing it. I was just saying like, personally, I'm like, oh, more people, more headaches, more drama. I yeah. don't, you know, I don't like drama or people or headaches. <laughs> <laughs> just you two. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> All right. Well, my dog is barking in the background. Don't mind him. But uh, I actually got a new dog, uh, a new, like uh, another Yorkie. And I have two. So well, I don't know. Oh. Yeah. They, they're still getting used to each other. They wrestle all day long. All right. So um, <laughs> let's go to the world famous fire round. But before we do, I do want to tell people, I know we did not talk about it at all this, this episode, but you recently, I uh, have been doing or did the Burr strategy, the buy rent uh, or buy rehab rent refinance strategy. Uh, and mm-hmm. you have a member blog post that we're going to link to in the show notes on this, uh, uh, which is at biggerpockets.com slash show 138. Anyway, I want people to go check that out because your pictures are amazing. Like the before and after. Especially and, that the kitchen and the, the counter. I, uh, yes, I encourage everyone, go out there and look at that counter. See if you see anything that does not belong. It is something I've never, ever bought. I have never, yep. Th- that, that is a first for me. So <laughs> people can check that out. 
It's uh, again, biggerpockets.com slash show 138. There'll be a link to the post called My Latest Burr is Rehabbed and Ready to Rent. All right, with that, let's move on to the fire round. It's time for the fire round. All right, the fire round. These questions come direct out of the Bigger Pockets forums, which people should be probably jumping into at biggerpockets.com slash forums. If you have never participated in the forums, it seriously is really, really easy. Go there and you press the big green button that says start a discussion and you can ask any question in the world as long as it's semi real estate related and not, you know, vulgar. But <laughs> pretty, <laughs> much, pretty much anything you can ask and you're going to get people to jump in and, and, and answer your questions. People like Mr. Rogers here. So, all right. <laughs> Back from the dead. I couldn't resist it. All right. (laughs) The fire round, uh, today's fire round questions, they're all kind of related to cell storage. Some of them are. Uh, Number one, how do you figure out what price uh, to rent a unit out at? And that could be cell storage or regular. Yeah. Well, self storage, I'm going to look around. I'm going to call my competitors. I'm going to look at them. I'll see what's online and I'm going to try to price it in that market. And uh, that's, that's, that's where I'm going to stay. I'm just going to see. And as things start getting filled up a little bit more, I'm going to go up a little bit more. But I would say go out there and look, see what your competitors are charging. And you need to stay somewhere around there. We kind of stay on the lower end of what our competitors are doing just to kind of keep them rented. Um, but I think that's probably the best way. Right on, right on. All right. Question number two, do you think it's a good idea to invest in a storage facility in a different state? Do you always need to be available? So can you invest in self-storage at a distance, I guess is a better question. You can. I've not done it. I don't think I will do it. Uh, Kind of going back to those points we talked about, this is kind of like investing in houses far away. You can do it if you've got good people, boots on the ground, property management there that can watch it for you. I like being close to things. I like to be able, if there's a problem, I want to be able to get there. Not saying I'll always be the person to go do it, but if you've got a major issue, it's nice to be able to get there within 15, 20, 30 minutes as opposed to having to hop on an airplane to get there. Yep. Right on. Right on. All right. Number three, once you get a property, where do you find forms for your unit renters to sign? Oh, like a lease? Yeah. Okay. I think that's um, what they're asking. Yeah. Uh, you know, there, there's several. I mean, I think even on bigger pockets, y'all, don't y'all have some some links out there to, to leases and so forth? I there's don't know. A for, yeah, there's a form section, biggerpockets.com slash forms. Yeah, and I, I think no, it's files, prim- files, files. <laughs> I think it's primarily uh, for residential, and and I, I don't know that there's anything uh, self storage specific. Oh, okay. If you're talking self storage, yeah. I would go out and you might want to rent a few self storage units in town, and, or it's maybe some of the big ones like a public storage, uh, or if you look at Uncle Bob's or these places, and kind of take a look at their their leases and, and and use that as you know don't don't plagiarize it. Obviously, you know don't don't copy what they do. But get an idea of what are the things that are in there. You know, get you an attorney involved to help come up with something. But you know, you're not. This is not. You're not reinventing the wheel here. You, you know, go out and see what's working for the big players, for the other players. See what they're doing. Kind of say, hey, are there any little things in there that I haven't thought about that really ought to put in my lease too? But you know, I'm not liable for you know if you have some sort of issue with it, putting those things in there. I think I think that's really important to look at what your competitors are doing. Right on. Yeah. And I uh, I want to press upon people to. Go and talk to an attorney. You know, I think it's great that there's all sorts of resources, including bigger pockets, where you can go and download a lease and look at it. But at the end of the day, you know, if you want to get your backside covered, you bring it to an attorney and you have the attorney review it. So 
Absolutely. Um, definitely yeah. be sure to, to, to do that. That said, I do want to also say like that, that point you said about find out what the big guys are doing, you know, you don't reinvent the wheel. I think that that's an amazing tip for any real estate, right? Like, I mean, that's how I try to run my landlording businesses. I run it exactly like the guy who has a 5,000 unit property because they figured it out. Like, why mm-hmm. am I trying to figure out something new? Like I got this new way of landlording, you know, just do it the way that they do it because they, they've, you know, they've mastered it over years and years and years. Well, you have exactly. a new technique, so you're a guru then. <laughs> there you go. I got a new <laughs> secret way to do this, and I can yes. tell you for three easy yes. payments. All right. Yes. All right. <laughs> Last question. What are the first steps someone should take to invest in their first storage unit? Hmm. Uh, that's a good question. I, I would say learn about it. I would say get out there, talk to people that are in that business. Maybe they're not exactly in your market, but uh, reach out, read things online, go check out the like the SSA or Inside Self Storage. The, the, those websites that are out there, there's stuff. There is stuff out here on bigger pockets. Bigger pockets. <clears throat> yeah, big, Sorry, bigger pockets. I, I had a cough. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but bigger pockets. You know, there's. You know, you could listen to this podcast. You could go out and uh, learn. Don't go out. Don't sign up for any uh, major expensive boot camps or anything. If if you've got the personality to where you like to learn and figure things out, that that's typically what makes people good investors. If you if you're wanting to spend tens of thousands of dollars to do it the quick way. You probably don't have the, the 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 work ethic in you to make it work anyway. So I, I would say learn it on your own. You know, try to figure it out. Talk to people. There's lots of people out there. I'll talk to you. Uh, you'll get it organically that way. Right on. Great. That's great. I love it. Awesome. All right. Let's move on to the world famous. Famous four. All right. The famous four. These questions are asked of every guest, and you're no different, Mister Rogers. So number one, what is your favorite real estate book? Uh, real estate. I would. I, I came up with two, if that's okay. Um, I would not say not allowed. Not allowed. Okay. Okay. Right. Fine. I would say that just just one millionaire real estate investor by I think it's Gary Keller Gary or Keller. somebody. Hey, that was a great one. I first read that that idea of you know buying on margin of safety, looking at lots and lots of properties. Then you go in after you've looked at you know thousands and you pick out you know a couple hundred. You look at real seriously that how to make the grade. And you get down. You keep going down until you finally get that one. That's what investing is all about. It's looking at lots and lots of things, figuring out what's mispriced, and then swooping in and getting it real quick. Yeah. And then another one, if you're, I think it's a really good resource, is Every Landlord's Legal Guide by NOLO. They put that out there. That's a good layman's terms uh, source. That's where you, you can actually get some. They've got some forms there. Now, you mentioned it on leases, standard communications with your tenants. but And then they've got some state-specific laws. They put down a little index about you know what you got to do with your deposits and uh, what you can do in each state. Each state's a little different, but that that I've always found that to be a very good resource. Yeah, I have that, and it is it is a great resource. Right I on. like it. Right on. All right, favorite business book. I would say uh, you know essays of Warren Buffett. I really like that book. That's kind of taking all of Warren Buffett's letters to shareholders over the last fifty years, and they kind of combine that into a theme. Yeah, uh, you know his idea of value investing is great. You know, it's the idea that you kind of know what the intrinsic value of a property is or a stock or whatever it is, and you let the market go up and down and you use the market to your advantage. You don't have to go in and buy all the time. You know, it's perfectly fine to let a property go by that you're not sure about. The, the big mistake is paying too much. You're getting something, uh, letting one, latching. The only way you're going to lose money investing is making a bad investment. Letting one go by, you're going to be okay. And, and yeah. that's, uh, that's very timely given uh, the state of uh, the economy, both local and, and globally. And and this show comes out in a couple of weeks, but you know, this past week is the week where the market was down 1,100 points. We were down almost 10% over a five-day period. And 
you know, a lot of people are flipping out, but, you know, at the end of the yeah. day, if you're buying for intrinsic value, then you're in a lot better position, whether it be stocks or real estate. Yeah, so, I mean, when, when prices go down, that's when you want to be looking, taking a real serious look about buying things. It's not yeah. when everyone's excited about them because prices are high. That's typically when you don't want to be in something. It's when everybody in the herd's looking at it and saying, gosh, this looks great. That's yeah. always a bad sign. Yeah. yeah. Hey, what, what do you do for fun? Hobbies? Well, you know, like I said, I've got a wife and three kids, so that, that keeps me extremely busy uh, playing with the kids and so forth. I used to play a lot of golf. I play two or three times a year now, but I really, you know, the real estate, I enjoy it. You know, it, it's something that I, I love doing. I've, I've always found it interesting. I like talking shop with other real estate investors like you guys or friends or, or people I meet kind of coming and going. And I always recommend to people, you know, check out Bigger Pockets. When I meet somebody out there, I'm like, hey, get on Bigger Pockets. You know, go listen to those podcasts. Go, go, go! Get involved if you're thinking about getting in a, into real estate because I think it is such a good resource. Awesome. Appreciate that. Cool. All right. Final question for me: What do you believe sets apart successful real estate investors from those who give up, fail, or never get started in the first place? I would just say uh, just having that persistence and determination. Um, just you look at them, stay after it, having that that mindset that I'm I'm going to do this, and, and just keep looking at it. And, and it's okay if you. If you let one slide by, you know, just keep looking at them, keep your eye open, and you'll eventually find something if you're if that's something you're really meant to do. Right on, right on. All right, Michael, aka Mister Rogers. Where can people <laughs> find out more about you, man? Yeah, uh, you can go on, on my main website, which is Chandler-Property.com. And then if you kind of if you're somebody that's getting into self storage, you want to see the self storage websites, just go to the self storage page. And then in there, there's three separate websites for each facility that you can rent from, and you can kind of see how you rent. Um, and then the, my Bigger Pockets profile, uh, you can go out there and just look for me on Bigger Pockets, and I'll be glad. I may not get back to you immediately that same day, but I'll try to get back to you in the next couple of days if you got a question. Right on, right awesome, on. And, and definitely do check out Michael's. Uh, Burr article looks yeah, like yeah. A, a hoarder threw up all over the kitchen and everywhere else. So, <laughs> yeah. And Brandon, Brandon, you should give away like one of those free books of yours to anybody that correctly guesses first what that. I uh, will. I will. So, in the kitchen. <laughs> I will do that in the comment section <laughs> of this blog post. First person to correctly guess, you know, one of these things is not like the other. Is uh, we'll get a free copy of my book. <laughs> so there you go. <laughs> wow! Right on, right, right on. All right, guys. Well, listen, Michael. Thank you so so much. We really appreciate it. Lots of great information, and uh, you guys can uh, find Michael on Bigger Pockets or or definitely uh, hit him up on the show notes of the podcast with any questions at biggerpockets.com/slash/show138. Michael, thanks so much for coming on. All right, thanks, guys. Thank you. All right, guys, that was Michael Rogers on self-storage investing, SEO, value investing, Burr, and all sorts of other stuff. Uh, so big thanks uh, to Michael for coming on. That was, that was cool. Are you going to go buy some units now? I'm going to go buy some storage units right now, like today. Nice. No, yeah. no, at least what minimum what I got out of that was I want to just go and like, you know, I said I want to go find out the storage unit in my area, like people. What I want to yep. do is I want to do what he did. He said, he asked him if they just want to go to coffee. Like I would yep. love to just connect with three, four of the guys or girls that are owning storage units in my in my area and just meet with them. I, I don't even know who they are. Like, I think that's a good first step. I think, you know, and I think that's a great actionable step for anyone who's still listening to the show, which is if you are not on a regular basis, making it a habit to go out and have coffee with other investors in your area, you should do that. Stop what you're doing. When you're done listening, get out there, find some people that are investors in your area and make sure to meet them because there's so much you can learn. You know, a lot of people are freaked out about competitors. Well, you know, these people are your competitors, but they're also going to be your collaborators. So get out there and, and meet people. There you go.
Love it. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. Well, cool, man. It's it's good to be back again. Feels fresh. Feels uh, feels good to to be back behind the microphone. Yeah. Look at you, fancy California tan and everything. <laughs> look at that, all shiny, and I don't even have a shiner. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. You're not cool like me. Yeah. Well. All right. <laughs> All right. All right, guys. Well, thanks for listening. Show 138. And you can check out the show notes at biggerpockets.com slash 138. And we will see you next week on the new Bigger Pockets podcast. Thanks for listening. I'm Josh Dorkin signing off. You're listening to Bigger Pockets Radio, simplifying real estate for investors large and small. If you're here looking to learn about real estate investing without all the hype, you're in the right place. Be sure to join the millions of others who have benefited from BiggerPockets.com, your home for real estate investing online. On to the world famous, famous, famous. four. <laughs> All right, the world famous, famous four. These why, questions. Why did we actually do that? By the way, <laughs> think, we don't, thinking back. What? We used to. Uh, yeah, we we now we have a sound effect that goes there. I but, know. Yeah. It's, it's <laughs> Braving the real estate investing journey on your own can be daunting. Doubts tend to creep up and stifle your ambition. Is this actually a good deal? Did you run the numbers right? What if you can't find a tenant? Can you even afford this place? What if you lose your job? Whatever you're going through, we've all been there. And guess what? The best way to overcome your doubts and hesitations is with a healthy dose of knowledge, networking, and accountability. And that's just what you'll find in our newly released 2024 Summer Boot Camps. After these eight action-packed weeks of step-by-step guidance from expert investors, weekly video modules, live Q&As, interactive assignments, and new friends to keep you accountable, you'll be ready to tackle your first or next deal with full confidence and expertise. Choose from the small multifamily, short-term rental, or rookie boot camps and register by April 12th for the lowest prices. Head on over to biggerpockets.com slash enrollme today. That's biggerpockets.com slash enrollme. The content of this podcast is for informational purposes only. Past performance is not indicative of future results, and all hosts and participant opinions are their own. Investment in any asset, real estate included, involves risk. Use your best judgment and consult with qualified advisors before investing. Only risk capital you can afford to lose. BiggerPockets LLC disclaims all liability for direct, indirect, consequential, or other damages arising from reliance upon information presented in this podcast.